Welcome to Behind the Post, a podcast discussing all things B2B social media, presented by Octopost. In each episode, you'll hear from creative social media managers who will discuss what really takes place behind social media and how they fuel their own creative process. Listen on for inspiration, tips, and secrets you need to craft your next masterpiece social campaign and engage your audience. Introducing your host, Olivia Messina. Hello, and welcome back to Behind the Post. Today, I am joined by the newest member of our social media team, Addie Peters. She has recently joined Octopost as our social media content specialist, and I'm so excited to be sitting down with her today. We are doing a tell-all Q&A episode we've asked on social, and you guys have submitted questions. So today, we are going to break it down for you, and I'm so excited. So without further ado, Addie, are you ready to go behind the post with me? Yes, I'm so ready, and I'm really excited to be here, Olivia. Thank you for inviting me on this episode. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited. And actually, you are my first in-person guest. I've never recorded in person. Everything has been virtual. So this is a really exciting episode. Um, So I thought we would kind of start off. um, One of the first questions we got was, what tips do you have for trying to get into the social media industry? And for this question, I thought we could kind of each break down how we got in because Mm -hmm. we both got in very differently, but I think they are both great ways to kind of break in because Mm -hmm. right now it's, I feel like it's very hard to make it into the social media industry, especially if you don't have experience Mm -hmm. prior, I feel like it's very challenging. So yeah, um, I'll let you kind of kick it off. I'll go first. Yeah. I think especially nowadays, it's kind of hard to like kickstart your way into the social space. Even if you do have experience, it might not be what um, the job you're applying to is looking for. So I recently graduated, um, didn't major in marketing or um, social anything, but um, was looking for positions at companies that loved social, focused on social. And it was really just a part of their whole entire brand. And so I found Octopost and I started in a sales development role. And I think that was really good and interesting, especially just to get started in a role that isn't necessarily social focused so that you could kind of get your head around what the company is and what they do. Um, And then slowly just start to express your interest in what you want to do. I think from the get-go, I was really open and honest that I wanted to help Olivia. And I was super excited about um, being at Octopost in general. But I think definitely just expressing your interests and um, kind of showing that to your bosses is what is going to allow them to maybe nudge you into that position. And eventually, that's what happened for me. And I'm so excited that it happened sooner Mm -hmm. than I expected. Yeah, I think that's great advice, especially like it is very challenging to get into an entry-level social media position. Mm -hmm. So I think that is such great advice to find a company you love Mm -hmm. and maybe go in in a a sales development role or any entry-level role and then learn the product, learn the company, and then try slowly try to make your way into the position you want. I think that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll share my story quickly. Um, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but I actually used to be a teacher. So I did not go to school to mar- for marketing either. Um, but yeah, I used to be a teacher. And then I realized I wanted to make a bit of a career change. Um, so I went about the process 
Um, I will say, I think I got lucky in a sense where I think Octopus and me, it was right, like right to the right time for both of us. So it, it really, I feel like I did get lucky in a sense, but um, my biggest tip for applying for jobs, if you do not have related experience. So for me, like I have a, a teaching background, so I did not have real social media manager experience, but I have built my personal brand up over the years. And I came in with a background of social media, just not working for a company. So I think that really helped me. So if you are looking to break into social media, I would say definitely start to build your personal brand. I think number one, that's going to be key because if you don't have direct experience in it, um, you're not really going to have anything to go back on and and talk about in interviews and kind of prove that you know the industry. So I would definitely say start building your personal brand. Um, and then another thing is just network. I think that is the one thing that kind of helped me land a role so quickly. Um, when I was applying for jobs on LinkedIn, I was messaging people that already worked at the company, asking about culture and just kind of making those connections. And I think that kind of helped me get interviews at a lot of companies. And I think it also kind of makes you stand out when you're really expressing interest and like wanting to learn more. Um, so that would be my biggest tip is to start building your personal brand. I actually had um, a podcast guest, Christina Lee. She actually said um, she had an employer or she was interviewing for a social media manager position. And they said, uh, you don't post on LinkedIn. Like you, you haven't built up a personal brand. Like we're looking for someone that has a personal brand. So she was like that day, then and there, like I decided to like start creating and posting every day. So I would definitely say like start, posting and creating your personal brand. And then you have something to talk about in your interview as well. Um, but yeah, so we both have very two different ways that yeah. we kind of like got into the industry. So I feel like, you know, taking some of the tips we kind of just chatted about, like could definitely be yeah. an easy way to like get in. Yeah. I think the part about just focusing on networking is also super key. I think that even if you are in a role that isn't something that you want to stay in long-term and you want to transition into social or transition into marketing. I think at least networking with you and also the marketing team in general mm -hmm. kind of allowed me to make that transition easier and even make it a possible opportunity that could be talked about amongst all of the team. Yeah. Yeah. Networking inside the company. I'm like yeah. you mentioned, I like that you mentioned that because that's something um, I think anyone in marketing or social, if someone is reaching out and asking to like help out, yeah. you are going to be like, yes, 100%. So I, I think that's like a, such a good like tip. So yeah. I definitely agree. So we're going to transition into our next question. Um, I guess I'll have you answer this one first, Olivia. What B2B companies are doing really great things on TikTok and Instagram Reels? So for me, I think it's no surprise. I've talked about um, this company time and time again. I just love what they're doing. And that's Chili Piper. They've been using it kind of for recruitment. Um, they also do little videos here and there with like tips and tricks um, and just relatable content. I feel like that's a really good approach on TikTok, mm -hmm. um, using it for recruitment and like company culture, brand awareness, but then also having those posts that like everyone can relate to. Yeah. But I really like um, how Chili Piper presents themselves on TikTok and Reels. Mm -hmm. Every post is so engaging and really catches your eye. And yeah, I think Chili Piper is like honestly nailing it. I also really love Biteable. I actually had, uh, well, I've had the Chili Piper social media manager and um, Biteable's social media manager on the show. So you can go back and listen into those shows. But I really love how Biteable 
I really love their presence because it is not about their product at all. They don't mention their product. They don't talk about their product. Um, and it's all relatable, like corporate millennial humor, which just, if you're on TikTok, you know, that kind of content just lands. So I think Biteable and Chili Piper would have to be my like top two companies who are crushing it. I definitely would agree with that. I think that one of the biggest parts of B2B brands on social is just creating that community. I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely an amazing thing to do, but also a very hard thing to do. I think that once you kind of land that community, um, your content kind of resonates with them more and Mm -hmm. you kind of better have create a better understanding of what they're looking for and also what they relate to. Yeah, 100%. And it's when you start to... When your content is so lasered focused on the audience, then you are really creating content with your audience in mind Mm -hmm. and you know their pain points, you know their struggles, and then they relate to you that much more. And I feel like when you can reach them on that deep level, that is where community is built. And that's like where all of the magic happens. And it is challenging for B2B brands, I think, because sometimes you get stuck with like the technical side of like your product maybe. And you're like, how do I present this in a fun and engaging way and also build community? Um, So it can be challenging. And I will say for me coming into um, like a new social media role, I think it's really hard to connect with an audience that you didn't create. That was probably my biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. But over time, you really start to develop an understanding of like, your audience's unique needs and pain points. And then over time, you just slowly start to learn more about them and you're able to reach them better. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think it definitely takes time to get a better understanding of who your followers are and also what they're coming to your page for. Mm -hmm, Exactly. That was um, a tip that I actually learned. When I first started, I I shared that was my biggest struggle on LinkedIn. And someone commented, ask yourself why... Are these, why are your followers following you? What value are you providing to them? And then that will kind of help you understand what content to be sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely makes sense. All right. Well, next up we have, how do you establish the best time to post for the brand? So for this, um, I first want to say that it definitely depends um, company to company and where you are located, obviously. So I think it really depends also on your audience and who you are trying to reach. And I don't think there is one perfect time to post every single day, like across the board. I think it is really going to be different. And depending on what's going on in the world during that time, what's going on that day, you know, it's social media is changes so quickly. Um, So a few things that I would say is when your audience is most active. So if you are on the East Coast, like in the United States, like obviously, you know, the best times to be posting around like maybe in the morning or like lunchtime afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it takes a little bit of like trial and error to see when you are getting the most engagement. But I think knowing where your audience is and who you're trying to reach, posting in their time zone, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then I would also suggest um, 
getting a tool or going into each app. So you can actually go into each app and see what time your audience on that platform is most active, or you can invest in a social media management tool. Um, obviously we use Octopus. Um, and we actually have a full report where you can see the best time of day, um, where your followers are engaging, um, like the time of day, the day of the week where your audience is most active. So I definitely say, do research and invest in um, a tool that can help you in that area. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that even for our advocacy board, um, our advocates have like the option to automatically schedule, which is amazing mm-hmm. because especially when you're booking out content or planning content for a week, it's a lot easier when you can have it scheduled for a time when you know that your users mm-hmm. are going to be or your followers are going to be seeing it. So that definitely makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And also just having an understanding of once again, where your followers are from. Um, but also Octopus being such a global brand, having mm-hmm. so many people and Octoposters in different countries and time zones is definitely interesting. Um, so if there's content geared towards teams in those countries, I think focus on the time zone that they're in and when they are engaging um, mm-hmm. with that content. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. Yeah. So our next question is, do you report on engagement rate? Why or why not? And is it meaningful? So I feel like engagement rate is one of those metrics where you're like, okay, is this an important metric? Should I be focusing on engagement rate? Um, And I know it can be kind of a touchy subject here and there because some people are like engagement rate all the way. And other people are like, oh, is it really telling us that much? So for me, I think, yes, engagement rate is an important metric. Is it the end all be all? No, because at the end of the day, there are more meaningful engagements I think you can be keeping an eye on. I think it is important to have an understanding of your engagement rate, but it's really not telling you a lot of the story of what's going on with within your social media channels. So I feel like, yes, it's important to keep an eye on it. But at the end of the day, I think it's more important to see the overall number of engagements versus impressions and focus on who is engaging with your content, rather how many people are engaging with your content. Because at the end of the day, if you're not reaching your target audience, then it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think it's important, but I think there are more meaningful metrics to keep an eye on at the same time. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think one of the hardest parts is finding those metrics and kind of getting a better understanding of what to focus on. And if you're not going to completely focus on engagement rate, which we definitely don't think is the best idea, but also Mm -hmm. um, figuring out which metrics work for your company and also how you're going to be tracking those um, either Mm -hmm. quarter to quarter, month to month. Yeah, I agree. Because when you when you really think about it, just knowing your engagement rate isn't telling you much about yeah. how your content is performing. It's much more meaningful to look in, look into the clicks, the conversions, mm-hmm. how many comments you're getting, if there are meaningful conversations happening in yeah. your comments. Because I would rather have more less comments that are actual meaningful conversations and where you're actually starting to build community Mm -hmm. than a ton of comments that are just kind of like random and you know they're not really relevant so I would rather have 
less meaningful engagements than just a ton of engagements and a ton of followers that aren't really exactly who we're targeting. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that's been an ongoing conversation recently, especially for follower counts. And Mm -hmm. um, even the past, I feel like five years moving away from vanity metrics, um, that people would way rather have a thousand engaging followers rather than like a hundred thousand followers who aren't even going to interact with either their posts or Mm -hmm. comment or just be engaging. And if you're going to follow, then bring something to the table, I think. Yeah. And I think that's why there's been a huge um, rise in micro influencers, Mm -hmm. because even though they have a smaller following, their following is way more engaged than the huge, like big name influencers. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really interesting because at the end of the day, social media is meant to be social and you go on to interact with people and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for meaningful engagements on social, just having hundreds of thousands of followers at the end of the day, if those followers aren't engaging with you yeah. and they're what's the it, point? yeah, what's the point? There's no reason. So yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's very interesting to see how the social social media shifted over the years mm-hmm. to be focused on, Oh my gosh, we want so many followers. And now it's more focused on value over volume. Like, everything else we're trying to do. It's always value over volume. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree with that. All right. So moving on to our next question here. This one is a really interesting (laughs) one. And it is, how do you manage writing for your employees in your employee advocacy program? Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have never written content for anyone else, (laughs) um, try it out and let me know how it goes because (laughs) it is very challenging. Um, I do love leading our employee advocacy program, but I will say probably the number one thing that is the most challenging aspect is writing content for other people. Mm-hmm. It's very challenging, especially when you're writing for people in um, different countries with different cultures. And it, it can be challenging. So I totally sympathize with this question because I do also struggle with it, just being totally transparent. Um, there are a few things that I like to do that help me kind of get in the mindset of writing for someone else. So for me, I try to use very simple and broad language so that everyone would feel comfortable sharing the post. Um, We know best practices that come with employee advocacy. You are supposed to change up the messaging, but if someone doesn't change it up, it would still look professional going out on their social media. Um, So I like to use simple, broad language. Um, Another thing that I like to do when I'm actually physically writing the posts, I like to think in the mindset, okay, how would I explain this topic? Or if it's a piece of curated content, how would I summarize this content? If I was talking to a friend, like if I was sitting across from my best friend, Mm -hmm. how would I explain this to them or talk to them? Or I like to think, okay, if I was writing this post to go on my channel, like on my network, how would I write it? And that usually makes it sound more human. um, Because when you start writing your corporate content and advocacy, sometimes I kind of get in the, the corporate mode mm-hmm. where it's like a little more cheesy, a little, uh, you know, it's different language when mm-hmm. you're actually coming from like a human. Mm-hmm. So I like to do that. And then I have a few different post styles that I kind of have on rotation that just make it 
sound more human. So mm-hmm. I'd like to start up a post with a question. I feel like that's a good way to yeah. um, hook your audience. And also just, it's kind of intriguing. It'll make your audience think a little bit. Mm-hmm. So starting off a post with a question. I also like to maybe start off the post with a quote, especially if it's a curated um, piece of content, just pulling like a really juicy quote or a juicy stat from that um, article. I think that's also a good way to start it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, just trying to take that corporate hat off and write like a human. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think coming into this role, that was one of the things I had the hardest time with. And you giving me some of those tips was definitely what allowed me to kind of fit into that employee advocacy writer role and be able to write in a way that is going to be understandable from all points of view. I think Mm -hmm. that that is definitely the goal when you are writing for an employee advocacy program is to make sure that no matter the platform, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, that um, your employees would want to and also feel comfortable sharing that content out. Mm -hmm. So I definitely agree with those tips. And I think that, yeah, definitely just act like you're talking to a friend. Yeah. Um, I recently saw on LinkedIn, um, act like you're talking to your grandma, like make it super mm-hmm. baseline, super straight to the point and something that everyone's going to be able to understand. I think that definitely avoiding certain terms and jargon is yeah. best practice when you are is best practice when you are going through kind of writing for your employee advocates. Yeah, I agree. Because at the end of the day, it is social media. And when you get super technical or you are writing in this jargon that no one understands, Mm -hmm. that's not going to make someone stop scrolling because really as a social media manager, like when you are creating content, you have to write something that is going to make someone stop and pay attention to your content, which is hard to do. It's hard to get people's attention today. Mm -hmm. And especially on social media, if it is not engaging, if it's boring you right off the bat, you're going to keep on scrolling. So um, yeah, if you are going to, if you want someone to stop scrolling, it's got to be something good. It's got to catch their eye. And if it's just talking about random business jargon terms. It's just, I I don't know. I don't think it's cutting it on social media anymore. (laughs) I definitely agree. I think that, yeah, it's so much harder these days to stop the scroll, especially when these platforms want users on for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. I think that scrolling and scrolling and scrolling has become so easy, but what are you going to say and what are your employees going to say to stop that and pause Mm -hmm. that and take a step back and read that piece of content? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what, as the user, mm-hmm. uh, when I'm scrolling social media, it's like, what are you going to do for me that's going to make me stop and actually yeah. pay attention to your content? Mm-hmm. So it's also something to keep in mind, obviously, when you're writing too, but like putting yourself in the shoes of like the user for a second and yeah. not just the one creating the content, that always kind of helps me if I'm in a rut. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So our next question is, what should you do if you've covered best practices for social and your advocates are still sharing too much content? I think by this question, they're kind of meaning, um, what if your employee advocates are going to the employee advocacy site and sharing all five posts all Mm -hmm. at once from the week? Okay. So um, 
Yeah, I think this this is actually a question that I had a similar question asked um, when I spoke at B2B Ignite, the conference. Um, and this is something that I feel like a lot of employee advocacy leaders face. Your advocates going on to the advocacy board and just sharing out every single piece of content. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, how do you stop that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if you've already said like, okay, guys, we, you know, we're not going to share everything. Like, you, you know, if you've already covered um, like how employee advocacy works mm-hmm. and the whole process, I think the best thing to do would, would be implement a contest, um, but base it not on the amount of shares, but the amount of clicks. Um, maybe throughout a quarter, maybe you do like a a month long contest, but I think have a contest based on the number of clicks, because this would actually force your advocates to have a deep understanding of those best practices. Maybe you also do another best practice session, um, because especially on LinkedIn, if you want at if you know best practices for LinkedIn, for example, you know that you cannot post more than one time per day or else your content is going to get lost in the shuffle. No one's going to see it. You're not going to get the engagement. If your contest is based around the number of clicks, you are going to want to be posting using those best practices so that your content can actually be seen and you get the number of clicks. Mm -hmm. So I think running a contest around the number of clicks, or you could even do like a different metric, like conversions, for example, Mm -hmm. um, that focuses on the value of the content that you're sharing versus the volume, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But I, I definitely think that would be my best piece of advice here is just to go over those best practices one more time and kind of frame it in that way and really talk about how content performs on each network and how it's different, like LinkedIn versus Twitter, for example. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think that also just keeping the conversation amongst your coworkers and your employees very open and understanding so that if someone is doing that, maybe their coworker will see that and kind of nudge them and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. like, I know I see you doing this. And maybe it's only because you have 10 minutes in your day to set aside to post on your socials. Um, But I think giving them the understanding that they are going to get more clicks and a higher conversion rate if Mm -hmm. they are posting throughout the week rather than all at once in one day. Mm -hmm. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I feel like you can never go wrong with just hammering those best practices in just, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can even do um, weekly updates. Maybe you do weekly updates on Slack or over email. Just share those little best practices here and there just as a friendly reminder. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also Mm -hmm. like what you mentioned, Addy, about keeping that open communication, maybe having office hours every month or having a meeting every month where you kind of chat about those best practices and kind Mm -hmm. of go over um, how to use employee advocacy most um, efficiently. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. And I think that overall, even if you aren't doing a contest, the goal of employee advocacy is to increase brand awareness. And I think that if your advocates understand what that goal is, maybe they'll kind of be more driven and laser focused on what they're doing and why they're doing it if there's that big goal in mind. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Well, we're nearing the end of the show here. 
And I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests. I honestly, I didn't tell her this beforehand because we were doing a little bit of Q&A here. No, I'm um, but since she is new to the social media industry, she's, well, not too new anymore. You've been here for about a month. So you, you know what's going on over in the social media world. So Addie, what is one thing you wish your colleagues in other departments knew about social media or being a social media manager? Hmm. I have listened to so many of these episodes by now. So you think that I would have an answer. (laughs) Um, I think that probably just understand how much time it takes. I Mm -hmm. think that it definitely takes a lot of creative thought process to kind of get through writing those posts. And once Mm -hmm. again, even if you are employee or writing for your advocates, that takes that extra bit of time um, Mm -hmm. to make it sound like it's coming from their point of view. I think that, yeah, just how much time it takes is, I feel like, really understated and not really known throughout any organization just because Mm -hmm. most social teams are one, thank God, two people now. (laughs) Um, But I think that, yeah, it's kind of just understanding that it is time consuming. It also is very, very strategic and... Mm -hmm focused on so many metrics. And yeah, I think that's what I would try to drill into everyone. Mm -hmm. I would totally agree. And this is also, that would be my exact answer, how much time and thought goes into creating content. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned that it's a strategic approach because it definitely is. We are not just, you know, scrolling Instagram and creating posts. Like we have a very strategic plan and social media can be a huge demand generation channel for Mm -hmm. your company. So I think just that idea of it truly takes so much time Mm -hmm. and creativity. And this is a role that requires Mm -hmm. constant creativity. Mm -hmm. Even if you're having a down day, there still has is content that needs to be going out. out. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very, it's very challenging at times. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm glad you brought light to that because I, I completely Mm -hmm. agree. And I think every social media manager listening in can agree as well. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much for joining me here. I I love chatting with you. um, And I'm so, excited you were on my team and yeah I think this is going to be a great episode for anyone just looking to learn a little bit more about kind of what goes on yeah behind behind the post behind <laughs> all of the things that go on so thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me Olivia I had so much fun thanks for going behind the post if you love today's show let's get social and continue the conversation reach out on Twitter Instagram or LinkedIn and tag at Octopost If you don't want to miss a single episode, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more free social media tips and resources, check us out at octopost.com. See you next time.